0: We're walking along with Jesus, and we're part of a story. We're part of a series of events as we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke. As Pastor Thurman has been leading us, we're looking at these, really, parables, but also events that happened to Jesus on the way to the cross. Luke 9 has said that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And there was an intentionality as Jesus was moving. And along the way to Jerusalem, Jesus is delivering these dialogues. He's, he's teaching these parables. He's having these encounters with people in the midst of their lives. And as Jesus encounters them, as Jesus comes upon certain circumstances, he takes time and he tells a story. He, in one place, tells a story about a woman and a judge. And he tells a story um, about... A man, and he had two sons. He tells a story about a, uh, a woman who had a lost coin, and a man who had a lost sheep. And there are these stories that are intersecting into the life of people that Jesus is encountering. They are very intentional stories that Jesus is giving, teaching about, and helping the disciples see what the kingdom of God was going to look like. Helping people understand the truth of who he was. Helping people understand the truth of what God wanted to do in the nation of Israel. There was conflict along the way and oftentimes the stories that he was telling were not always flattering, flattering to those who were listening. Sometimes he caused a little controversy in what he said and what he did. But we come to Luke 10 today, and we encounter Jesus, and he has just experienced two very specific events that have happened in his life. One observing about two of the disciples, James and John, and another about persons who were potential disciples, but yet did not find it convenient to follow Christ. As Jesus had set his face toward Jerusalem, he was traveling from northern Galilee, and he's on his way, um, not along the Jordan River, but he's actually going through Samaria. And in this travel time, he sends a couple of the disciples on ahead to prepare lodging. That was pretty common in that day. You would send someone ahead, and they would go into the city, and they would say, we have a party of this many people. They'll be here in a couple hours, and so I need to secure a place for us to stay. Well, this Samaritan that they talked to had no interest in the Jews staying in his city. And he certainly had no interest in this group being there for any extended period of time. And so he basically, it would be equivalent to our day and time, walking into a hotel and them saying, oh, I'm sorry, no vacancy. Well, James and John are furious. They come back to Jesus and they say, just give us permission. and We'll call down fire from heaven and we'll just take care of this. God did it for Elijah. He'll do it for us. And they're not seeing the big picture. They're seeing these people for as they are. They're not seeing them for what they can become. And Jesus rebukes the disciples. He doesn't rebuke the Samaritan innkeeper. He just goes to another village. But he rebukes the disciples because they're not seeing people the way that they should be seen. We know later that the gospel will come back to these villages and Many will receive Christ, and if Jesus had granted the request of James and John, that opportunity would have been gone. The second thing that happens is that Jesus is still recruiting disciples. We tend to think in terms of the 12, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, but we, ne- we need to remember that there's a larger group of disciples with Jesus. That we'll see them here described as the 70 in the passage we'll look at today uh, we know in the upper room there were 120 and so we know that there is this larger group of disciples that are coming in and out of Jesus's life and they're there and they're a part of that and so we see them working and we see this taking place and so Jesus actually has had a conversation with a couple persons and invited them to follow him he got two different responses one said nah not really convenient, I, I need to go home and say goodbye to my family, which basically meant I'll go home and when I've made provision for my family, when I have enough money, then I'll come and follow you. The other one had basically said, well, let me go home and bury my father. Now we think, well, that would be a noble thing. You know, you ought to do that. But he doesn't mean that his dad has just died. He means by that that let me go home, and when my parents, when my father is has died, because I'm taking care of him, then I'll come and follow you. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't the right timing. It just didn't seem like this would be the expedient thing to do for these disciples. And so Jesus is concerned by these two things, and so he's going to send the seventy onto a mission. He's going to send the seventy onto a very specific thing because they need to see that being a disciple, it doesn't always come at convenience. Now we do this, same thing. You know, we have a certain area in our life that, you know, we we know we ought to be doing, but we're not doing. And we kind of want God just to grant us an exception rule, or we want a variance on that. So, you know, God, I know I ought to do that, but... Can I just have an exception right here? You know, I don't have a problem doing my quiet time. I don't have a problem, you know, um, going to church on Sunday. I'll even go to Sunday school. But just don't ask me to do, you fill the blank in. And you know what? You think about it. You you encounter situations and you know you ought to do it. it. It may be the sharing your faith with someone. It may be going on a mission trip. And, I mean, it, it, and you're so convicted about it. I mean, you walk by the mission trip poster and you just pick up your pace a little bit because you don't want anybody to stop and ask you about doing that. Because there are these things in our lives where we just say, Well, God, can you just give me a variance? Can you just grant me the exception? These disciples were looking for exceptions in following Christ. They wanted to follow, but it it needed to be convenient. It needed to be at a certain comfort level. It needed to be on their terms. So in Luke chapter 10, as we're finding ourselves in the story, we're going to walk through this narrative of verses today. And I just want to see along with me, you to see along with me, if we see ourselves somewhere along the way in the story. And we're going to see Jesus doing something incredible, something life transformational, not only in the lives of the 70, but in some of these villages as well. It's picked up in verse 1 of chapter 10. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. He was saying to them, now the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go and behold, I'll send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves and carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter first, say shalom, peace to this house. And if a man of peace is there, then your peace will rest on him, and there'll be an agreement, and if not, it will return to you. But stay in that house, eating and drinking, that they may, what they give you, because the laborer is worthy of his wages. So don't keep moving from house to house, and whatever city you enter, when they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal those who are sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, we'll pick up in in a minute some more verses. We're going to observe some principles. We're going to talk about a little bit, and then I'll bring a scripture in sometimes that will give us a little further insight into this. First thing you see is this this principle of the appointment, or this um, appointment principle, which you'll see. And that is this, that God was setting aside these 70 Men, these 70 disciples, and he was sending them there for a very specific purpose. He was laying the groundwork for what was going to come in the future. And you see this, because he does, he's very specific. This is 70 men, or 70 disciples, other than the 12. They're going in twos, so they don't go alone. They're going together. And he's sending them into villages, that later he is going to come into those villages and he is going to preach as well. Three very important things. These men were being moved out of their comfort zone. They were being moved out of just being a part of the crowd to now they're they're part of going in. And part of the message that they're going to give is the message of Christ. So Jesus is saying to them, I'm appointing you. The word appointing there is the same word that we would like appoint a governor or we would appoint a mayor it ha- or appoint an ambassador. It has this idea that someone who's being set apart for a specific mission with a specific message to a specific place. Jesus says, I'm taking you, I'll put you in twos, and here's the end game. I'm ready. I've got a purpose for you to accomplish in your lives. You know, and I think that's that's true in our lives as well. You know, Christ appoints us unto salvation. He appoints us unto uh, righteousness. He appoints us unto sanctification. That there are those things in our lives that the Bible is very clear that God is setting our lives apart for a purpose. And He means for that purpose to come out into our lives. He means for that. So when we look around the, this church, I can truly say, if you know Christ and you're here in this room, God's appointed you for a purpose in this place and possibly this church and in this city. And He has a work for you to do. Jesus pulls these men aside and says, there's a work I need you to do. And it's going to be outside, most likely, of your comfort zone and we see that you look at the verse there you see he very clearly does that but what's interesting is these are places where he's going jesus is not asking the disciples to do something that he's not going to do himself He's not giving them authority to go and accomplish a task that He's not enabling them to do. And that is so important for us to realize that God has given us the Spirit. He has given us His power. And when He calls us to accomplish a task, whether it be as a church, whether it be as an individual, whether we know that He's calling us to do a specific thing for Him, that God is in the empowering business. The Spirit of God is in us, and He is empowering us. In fact, Romans says that the same Spirit of Christ that Rose him from the dead, is living in you. Now, brother, that's power. And there ought to be this sense of appointment and understanding that God is empowering us for a mission. If you would have walked up to any of these 70 men, you know what your mission is? Yes, sir. You know where you're going? Yes, sir. You know what you're about? Yes, sir. So I think it's important to remember this, this idea of appointment. But I want you to see... Also, a harvest principle that's here because Jesus immediately begins talking about a harvest. And you see that, he says in verse 2 And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I grew up in a farming community, and It's amazing that when harvest time would come, now the wheat harvest where I grew up in northwest Kansas usually happened at the end of June or maybe the first or second week of July. There was a time period there, and that community, the community that I grew up up in, when the harvest came, I mean the whole community was involved in it because there were people that were coming in custom cutters and laborers that would come there were there were farmers who had a had a harvest to be able to bring in and they had a specific window for that to take place Don't know if you're aware of it but wheat is kind of one of those crops that when it comes time to harvest it you have kind of a window where you need to harvest that. If it's going to be viable, if it's going to be useful for market, if it's going to be, and in our day and time, it's going to be you know, used for human consumption, there's a time that you have to harvest that wheat. And when the harvest time comes, everyone in that community would come together to accomplish that. The hotels would do whatever it took. The restaurants would do whatever it took. The guys that were working and getting equipment, if a combine broke down, they would do whatever it took. If it meant driving all night to get a part and bringing it back for a farmer, everyone was a part of accomplishing and being a part of the harvest. And Jesus is giving us the same kind of principle. It's the picture that there are a group of men who have gone to a field, It would be like us going living in one county and someone's farming here, but they have land in southern Hampton County or they have land in Isle of Wright. And so they're going to those places and they get there, they see the field and they're like, it's time for harvest and we don't have enough laborers to harvest this field. And if we don't get this harvested, then it's going to be a problem. And so Jesus says, what do you do in that moment? Well, you send a message back to the master of the harvest, the Lord of the harvest, whoever the, the, the primary farmer is, and he would say, you've got to send laborers. If we're going to be able to rescue, if we're going to be able to do what we need to do to be able to harvest this crop, we need more laborers. And there is a sense of urgency in doing that. And Jesus is sending these disciples and he's helping them realize there is an urgency to their task. There is a harvest principle at play here because he is on his way to the cross. The kingdom of God being proclaimed to that generation is at a point and that there is a message that has to be proclaimed. And Jesus says, gentlemen, you're a part of that harvest. And you need to pray as, a, as one going back to the master would say, I need more laborers. You need to pray that there is enough men and women to go out, and there needs to be a sense of urgency in doing this. Yes, I think it's important to understand the urgency of the hour in our time. There is this sense in where, the, as Jesus will say, and, and if you see this verse in John four, he kind of uses this principle a couple different times when he says. Do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. For behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, for they are white. It's this white sheen that comes over wheat when it's about to that point where it has to be harvested. And he says, you've got to go. You have got to act. Don't say I'll do it when it's convenient. Don't say I'll do it later. Don't say I'll do it in six months because then you will miss the time. There's an urgency for us. An urgency for me. We don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds for you. And I sure don't know what tomorrow holds for me. And there's an urgency in our life that the things that we need to be doing for the Lord are not things to be put off. And we are so great at that, well, I'll do it next week, I'll, I'll do it when it's convenient. I'll, uh, you know maybe next year, maybe I'll, uh, maybe, 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 And we just put these things off and put them off, and then a month goes by, a year goes by, two years go by, and we lose contact with that person, or we get transferred, and we miss that opportunity. We don't know what's going to happen. There needs to be a sense of urgency in our lives. As well. Jesus says to them, Now I'm sending you, notice the next verse, like lambs into the wolves. If you're a lamb and you're about ready to go into a, a herd of wolves, what's your response? <laughs> you see any humor in Jesus? It's like today we would say, That boy is as nervous as a mouse in a room full of elephants. You know, it's nervous. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying to them, Guess what? I'm getting ready to send you on a mission. And there's a level where you need to understand that not everyone is going to be receptive. Not everyone's going to understand. Not everyone's going to go, Oh, thank you so much. But some will. And that's why it's worth the risk. Some do, and that's why it's worth the risk. Some believe and understand, and their lives are changed, not by us, but by the power of Christ. And when we go, whether it's to, on a mission trip or whether it's next door, but all of us are part of the going, when we're going out to say, this is the message, and I want you, and I, I'm pleading with you, understand that, that God does a work. He's the one preparing. He's the one doing the work. He is the one that appoints us, but he's going to use each one of these to go with the message of the kingdom, as we'll see in just a minute. So I think that's important. Then also notice the dependence principle, the next one. And that is notice how Jesus sends them. He doesn't just say, okay, now, guys, there'll be a hotel, just go in, just swipe your credit card, you know, and uh, you'll have unlimited meals while you're there, you'll be able to eat breakfast at the buffet every day. And then uh, his instructions are a little different. Notice what he says. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, greet no one on the way, and whatever house you enter, say, peace to this house. That's interesting. We're going to send you on a trip. We're not going to send you with any money. We're not going to let you pack anything. And you really don't want to need any extra shoes. And wherever you go, and they say, come in and stay, that's your room for the night. That's a little different than what we planned. If I was getting ready to take a vacation, and I told my wife that was my game plan, I probably would get a mixed reaction. What do you bet? So Jesus, though, is trying to teach the disciples something. He's helping them see, and he's helping them learn a lesson that in many ways we need to learn. Jesus says, when you go, you're going to be completely dependent upon me. Now, some of these disciples would have had a means, so they could have probably paid out of their own pocket some of these types of expenses. But Jesus says, leave it behind. When you go, I want you to be completely dependent I want you to be completely relying on me and on the provision that God is going to give you in your lives every step of the way. If it's a meal, you'll know God provided it. If it's a place to stay, you'll know God provided it. If you have a hole in your sandal and it's got to be fixed, you'll know God provided it. If it's a new robe because yours got torn, you'll know that God provided it. It's a sense of dependence that wherever they would go, they would be dependent upon God. We kind of take a little different approach in that. Well, God, you know, I got to make this much money or I can't take the job. God, I got to have you know the, this car, or I'm not sure I'll be able to get to work. God, I got to have, and we we name all of the things that we have to have in order to serve God. When do we ever just depend upon Him? When do we ever just say, God, I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going to believe you and I'm going to trust you. And we need that sense. You know, I remember when we were in seminary and in college and we got married, you know, two years into Bible college. I look back on that and I have not a clue how we survived. I mean, but you know what? We were so dependent upon God. And every meal, you know, and every month we were like, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. And He would. And I long for that, you know, and and those memories of of just doing that. Because I get too self-sufficient. We get too much on I can do it and I have to do it and I have to have the resources. Wait a minute. Are those your resources or those God's? Is that your ability or gift's? Or those God's abilities and gifts be an important lesson for us to learn. Now, when he says when they get to the city and they start staying place, though, they have another provision, and that is they can't move around, they can't trade up places. He says when you go, you stay. Ha, introduce yourself. Hope that this person is a man of peace. Give him a greeting, and if he you know is peaceful and he's receptive, then stay there, and that'll be a place where you can be. But Jesus says, wherever you go, I want you to stay there. I don't want you... And it had the idea. He didn't want them trading up into greater luxury. Well, we'll kind of start here. And then as we get to know people in the city, then maybe we'll, we'll go stay here and stay here. And, and we'll just trade up a little nicer place to stay. And Jesus says, don't do that. When you go, go to that place and stay. And allow basically Him to provide And that they would be rewarded. If you see it there in a verse, he says you'll be rewarded for your labor. And so it's important. Now notice this. Notice the verse on this. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and what? All these things will be added unto you. Do you know what things do? Do you know what luxuries do? Do you know what? these desires for all of these kind of things to do in our lives, they take away our desire for the righteousness of Christ. They detract us. They distract us from what the real mission is. Because if I'm seeking the righteousness of Christ, if I am seeking to follow Him, if I'm seeking to say, "God, I am all in for you, I am following you no matter what the cost, no matter what it takes, and I go after Him and I depend upon Him and God, I'm going to seek your righteousness." Isn't it amazing that when we put the right things in the right priority, that sometimes God starts bringing those things into our lives. But that doesn't mean it won't be tough, doesn't mean it won't be difficult. But what's our driving passion and our desire? For things or for the righteousness of Christ? It's a great question. These disciples would be very quickly confronted with that aspect. But I want you to see the gospel principle. Don't miss this message in verse 8. He says, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal those in it who are sick, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. Now, the gospel principle is Jesus is very specific. This city that's friendly, this village that's friendly, when you go into it, here's kind of the layout of what I want you to do. The first thing I want you to do is be a part of them. If they put something in front of you, eat it. Now, anyone that's been on a mission trip to another country has faced this. And you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You can see the dish in front of you that someone that someone came and said, "Oh, this is in Brazil or in Uganda or in in uh, Romania. This is this is what we this is the greatest thing." And they're just so proud for you to eat this. And you're just going, "I normally don't eat organs from that kind of animal." And you just know that, mm, this is going this is going to take some doing. But you also know that if you don't do it, they're going to be offended. And you're going to run the risk of looking like you're there for another motive. I'll never forget being in in Dallas one time when we were in this home. We got invited to this Latino family. We'd been ministering to them. And they came out. And they had this wonderful dish. And they wanted us to eat it. And oh, they were so glad. And it it was literally raw hamburger and lemon. And I remember God, and I mean, it was obvious, if I didn't eat that, I was going to offend. And I'll never forget just eating that raw hamburger and just being, saying, God, for your glory. And you know what? They were thrilled. I didn't have seconds now, mind you. But it developed a relationship because we came to a birthday party. We were there. We became a part of them and their family, and God did some really incredible things in the life of that family later on. And if it meant me taking a risk, guess what? It was worth it. If it meant me being inconvenienced and eating something, it was absolutely worth it. Even if I had gone home sick that night for two or three days as a result of it, it would have been worth it for the opportunity to pour into the life of that family. And when you go into the lives of people, sometimes that happens. You know, the equivalent to that would be if you went to somewhere up in uh, Zuni or you went on up further, you know, Ivor or Waverly, you know, and, you, and they someone came out and said, oh, these are the peanuts that we have in our area and we fix them a certain way and we want you to eat these. So I mean, you're going to love them. Oh, I'm sorry. I only eat peanuts from Suffolk. Be like, what? I'm sorry. I mean, have you not been to the seen Mr. Peanut? You know, have you not been to the Peanut Store downtown? I mean, there's no greater peanut than the Suffolk Peanut, which probably was grown in Waverly, but anyway. And they would be like, "What are you doing?" And you would lose the opportunity to witness to that person because of that. Jesus is saying, when you go, become part of them. Come into their culture. Understand them. Be a part of them. And then he says, heal the sick. And it has this idea of Jesus healing the sick. Did he do that? Yeah, absolutely. Was he you know, making the blind see and the lame walk and and the leprous be clean? Sure, he did all of those things. But... If these disciples were going to be clearly identified with Him and with His message, there were going to be some things that they would have to do. And Jesus said, be bold enough to step out in faith and to trust Me. Be bold enough that the power that rests upon Me will rest upon you because you're My disciple. And He's asking them to be bold enough to step out and to do it. We'll see later on they come back and they're like, it worked! It worked! But they were bold enough to step out in faith and to do that. But now, healing, though, doesn't always come that way. And probably even in these villages, it didn't come that way. Some of it, obviously, was that way. But someone who was sick, terminally sick, or someone who was sick, who, had a, who, who was lame or could not work or had been, been born deformed from, from birth they were the people who were most in need in this society. They had no means. They may have no family. They may have no way to provide for themselves. And Jesus says, go into that city, become a part of them, and start meeting real needs, physical needs, and meet the needs of the people who are there. And then as you're doing that, tell them the kingdom of God is near. And this message of Jesus was seen time and time again as He shared the message about the kingdom You'll see that here in this verse in Luke 4. And it's talking about Jesus earlier in this gospel. He said to them, I preach the kingdom of God to other cities, for for I was sent for this purpose. And he is telling them, you were set aside for a purpose, and the purpose is to preach the kingdom of God. Because if I become a part of someone's life, and I begin to meet a need in someone's life, it's not enough if I just leave them there. Because I'm not getting to the heart of the issue. Because ultimately, this is about spiritual matters. Ultimately, this is about spiritual urgency and people knowing and understanding. And it's about you seeing Christ as something that you need if you're without Him. And it was about those persons seeing and understanding that and them coming to terms with meeting that need in their life. And Jesus is asking them to step out in faith to go out of their comfort zone and to take the message of Christ. You know, I think it's interesting this time of year in our culture, kind of Christmas and Easter are very interesting times because people will talk about things, they will listen to songs, they will go to events, they will do things that normally they would not do. And it's a great opportunity at Christmas and at Easter to bring up discussions To say to someone at your work, hey, you know, would you have any, what are your Easter traditions? What are y'all doing for Easter? And to hear about what they do, and then it's very natural for them to say, well, what about you guys? And for you to say, well, this is kind of who we are, and this is what we're doing. And there needs to be an urgency for us about taking advantage of those kind of opportunities. I'm going to tell you, next month, I I hope you're looking ahead at the newsletter. We're going to give you some things. There's going to be some really fantastic things happening in the life of our church during the month of March. We're going to have Don Davidson come in, and he's going to do this winter Bible conference, and he's going to talk about the Passion Week. All of these parables, all these stories are leading toward that week that Jesus in Jerusalem. And Don's going to come in, and he's going to share about all of the things that have happened in the life of Christ and help us understand those events as they were leading to redemption and to the cross. We're going to actually do a um, couple weeks on Palm Sunday and Easter where we're just going to say to you, hey, invite a friend, invite somebody to come with you. You've been talking and building relationships, so step over that line and say, hey, come be a part. Come with me. And we're going to invite you just on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Just bring somebody with you. We're going to do a a Christmas musical kind of in that same week. I'm not Christmas music. I'm sorry. Strike that. An Easter musical during that same time. You're going to love it. It will be an event of praise to the king who has risen. And it will be a message of the gospel. We're going to do a Seder meal on a Wednesday night. A Passover Seder meal on a Wednesday night in the gym. Where we literally come together as a church and have a meal. We're going to learn about the meal that would have taken place. That the Jews would have been celebrating at Passover. And then we're going to talk about how each one of those things is pointing to Christ and who He is. And we're going to do that on a Wednesday night in the gym. There's some incredible things coming up in us. And we need to be saying, God, move me out of my comfort zone. God, I'm stepping out. And we need to be considering pouring ourselves into the lives of other people. It's important. All right. Accountability principle. That I'm done. Kind of. All right, here we go. He goes on to talk about the cities not only that accept the message, but the cities that don't accept the message. Notice verse 8. No, excuse me, I'm sorry. Verse 10. Whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, Even the dust of your city which clings to your feet, our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Now this is a fascinating verse because we hear this term, you know, the shaking the dust from our feet all the time. Jesus has given them an explanation, a pretty lengthy one, of what's going to happen when they go in and someone receives them. But Jesus says there are going to be cities that you go into, and they're not all gonna be quite as receptive. In fact they may say, You know what? Don't want to hear it. You're not gonna preach it here. In fact, there's a city gate, you could take it on down the road. And so Jesus gives them a little insight into handle how to handle that situation. Because there were a lot of cities. He goes on in the passage to talk about three pretty prominent Jewish cities that he all but says that Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be better off on the Day of Judgment than they were because of the rejection. The Tyre and Sidon, two cities that uh, God had had punished back in the time of, of the exile because of what had happened, and he says those cities will actually do better than these cities. Now what's interesting is Jesus basically says, go outside and say... We're shaking the dust off. It's a tragedy because the kingdom of God came near. Now, why would you do that? Well, because it has the idea that God was bringing judgment to the city. And so they're basically saying, I'm making sure I don't have anything because when God judges you, I don't want to be in any way associated with you. My dad has the saying, I'm allergic to lightning. So if God's going to judge you, I'm going to make sure I'm not anywhere around when he strikes Okay, that's basically what they're saying. It's a statement of judgment that when God judges, I don't want to have any association with what's about ready to take place because the kingdom of God came near. How tragic is that? That here are these cities. Some of these cities had incredible synagogues. Here are these cities. Some of them had large populations of of Jews that were living in these cities that were doing all of the right things. They were, they were following all the religious traditions of the day. But when the gospel of Christ, when the gospel of the kingdom came near, they said, no, not interested. Later, when God Himself and the person of Christ would walk through the streets, not interested. In fact, they might even cheer later on and when they put Him on the cross. Say, wasn't for us the tragedy though is that the kingdom came near that god came near that god came and there was a message of the kingdom that was preached in their city and it wasn't convenient It wasn't the right time it's pretty easy oftentimes to do that i remember as a young adult and a high school student kind of being that very way myself It's not really time. It's not really convenient. It's not really popular. It's not really something that would further my career, as if adding Christ to my resume would somehow further that. But Jesus isn't looking for something additional to your resume. He's not looking for another activity to put on your schedule. He's looking for you to abandon everything and to follow Him. He's looking for you to say, you are the priority. And all of these other things, if they have to go away, they can go away because I will abandon myself to follow you. I remember kneeling at the altar as a young adult when I accepted Christ and saying, Jesus, I don't care if I lose every friend. I don't care if everything goes away. I'm following you. And there was a sense of an abandonment in that moment for me. And when I got up, something was different. These cities had no interest in abandonment. They had no interest in going away from their traditions. And there were cities like in our day and time where truth, it could be altered. Morality, we can change that a little bit. Pleasure, all in. All about what's good for me, what's all for me, all about what makes me happy. And before too long... The ethic becomes all about self and pleasure. Society and these cities like Sodom and others basically became consumer societies, consumer cities where everything was about pursuing their own pleasures. And pleasure became God. And let me tell you, we're not far away. But it's a reminder to us, what are we pursuing? What are we running after? Is it stuff? Is it more houses, more cars, more opportunities? Or is it following Christ? Is it knowing the joy of eternal life? Is it knowing that the message of Christ came and it was I was all in and that I knew Him and I loved Him and I wanted to follow after Him? And brother, sister, when Jesus changed me, brother, He changed me he wants to change you as well and he wanted to change these cities and the kingdom of god came near and they did nothing it's interesting when the disciples come back we're done with the powerpoint when the disciples come back they are all about what's just happened they've seen lives change they've seen it completely transformed and they're like do you know jesus what happened Even the spirits obeyed us. They are so excited. They can't believe what happened. And Jesus says, Be careful. Be careful. Rejoice not that the demons are obeying you, because that's not your power. Implied, it's my power. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. Because, see, that's what matters. We can worship the experience of God's fruitfulness more than we worship God Himself. We can experience doing our religious traditions more than we worship God Himself. We can pursue wanting to be in the place of power more than we want to know the One who is all-powerful. Jesus said, be careful. Don't put yourself in that position. Rejoice. Because the kingdom of God to those cities came near, and they missed it. Rejoice that you didn't miss it. Let's pray. God, what a reminder of these principles in our own lives. Lord, a need for a greater dependence, a need for a greater understanding of you, a need, Lord, for the gospel to be purely displayed in our lives when we invest in others and meet needs. And proclaim your gospel to someone else. It's real easy to listen to a message like this and still walk away as a hearer and not a doer. It's real easy to say, yeah, go disciples. And not be a disciple ourselves. God, I pray today that you would challenge me. I pray you would challenge us, God, to step out of our comfort zones, God, and to be obedient to you. And there's not a person in this room that knows Christ that doesn't know what that one thing is that they need to do. I pray you'll give them the courage and the strength. And God, we know in you and in the Spirit, Lord, we are empowered. We're willing to be broken, Lord, and to follow you. But for some in this room it may be the power is gone because we've let sin into our lives or that needs to be confessed and cleansed and live in the joy of forgiveness as we share the message with others. God, for some it's just a matter of fear. It's a matter of not wanting to step out and wanting to have an exception. And I pray You challenge us to put away the exception rule and to follow You. But I have a feeling in this room there's some are very much like these cities. It's not convenient, it's not the right time. Maybe later. But I pray you would give them the urgency and the sense of urgency. Or none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Lord, we know that each must stand before you. We will give an account of what we did with the Christ, with the kingdom. I pray you give those here today that don't know you the courage to believe, to trust, to follow, to turn away from the things that have been hindering them, and or to ask for forgiveness and to come, abandoning all to follow you, and to watch you put into their lives, Lord, the transformation that only you can bring. That oh, we're here, we're available to you. In front of the church, it's a place of prayer place of decision and I pray today you will challenge us as a church to look around us to the city and the place that you've appointed and called us we would live out the gospel for you and oh, we love you In Christ's name, Amen we're going to stand at this time we're going to sing, if you need to make a decision you come service at First Baptist Church. We hope you've been strengthened in your faith. We want to encourage you to visit our website at fbcsuffolk.org for more information about the church and about following Jesus. God bless you today.